the Loop Ventures Liquidity Podcast, where we talk about late-stage venture financings, secondaries, IPOs, and exits. I'm Doug Clinton, and I am one of the partners at Loop Ventures, joined by my other partner, Gene Munster. Hello, Doug. So today, we we're going to talk about two things. First is just the most recent news on the ever-going WeWork saga. And the second is sort of a wider-ranging mobility discussion. So first on WeWork, the latest news from this week was that SoftBank agreed to, I guess we could call it the first venture bailout. They're putting in a total of around $9.5 billion. Some of that is to purchase employee shares, including over a billion dollars of CEO Adam Neumann shares. And at that point, Adam will be totally out of the company. SoftBank will own 80% of WeWork after the financing. So let's get into, I guess, the dirty details first, Gene. What do you think the takeaway is from this financing and the payout to get Adam essentially out of the company completely? I think first that SoftBank is strong hands. And I have a lot of respect for how they've navigated this. It's been somewhat controversial amongst the venture community about how they have kind of stepped in and supported this, but it's absolutely the type of venture fund that you'd want any founder would want to be a part of this. And as you mentioned, the outcome for Adam is an incredible outcome. I think one of the takeaways beyond the strong hands of SoftBank is the cost of cleanup. You talked about that $9 billion. I've seen numbers that just over half of it is going to be about some existing investors and in probably three or four billion is going to be actually go towards the company. And I think that at the core of this is that is a cost of culture and getting the cultures right at the right times. And so I think it's just a good reminder that the people who are founders of companies aren't always the right people to take them from middle to IPO. And to have made changes earlier, I think would have been more advantageous for the investors here. Yeah, I think that's one of the big lessons. And I guess we saw it with Uber as well. A different scenario, obviously, but similar outcome with sort of the founder being pushed aside. I think you know, the tough thing with Adam here, the outcome for him almost feels a little bit tone deaf in the sense that here, the rest of WeWork's employees who have stock options, probably a lot of them are underwater. Adam gets to walk away with a billion plus dollars plus this $200 million consulting fee. It feels just like maybe they, and maybe it was Adam kind of forcing the issue because he obviously held shares and there's value inherent in that and control inherent in that. But it felt like there could have been maybe a better messaging around his piece of the pie from this. Because I think a lot of employees, unfortunately, are going to walk away with very little or nothing. Unfortunate and tone deaf, but I would agree with the setup that ultimately is that I don't think there was an alternative road. I don't think that there could have been something that would have been more. And that is a well-traveled road, not in this type of a circumstance, but in the public markets that's well-traveled where CEOs will and feeling companies can get paid a lot of money. So I think that ultimately it comes down to control and, and you can understand why voting rights are so important even in earlier stage companies as they start to lay the groundwork because it sets up for potentially uh, incredible outcome for Adam in the later stages. Absolutely. 
the big outcome for SoftBank from this, aside from whatever eventually happens with WeWork, is apparently how they think about the Vision Fund and investments moving forward in that. There's another story just yesterday or today in the journal about SoftBank sort of rethinking the way they approach investments through the Vision Fund, being a little bit more conservative, thinking more about governance, like you just mentioned, Gene. And there is also a story, I think, tied to this, another company that SoftBank has invested in called FAIR, auto leasing company. They're talking about cutting staff by 40% to sort of move toward profitability. We work with SoftBank taking over is going to be doing some headcut counts to get to profitability. So do you think the response by SoftBank and the Vision Fund to really dial in on profitability and I think talk to probably a lot of its portfolio companies about getting toward profitability rather than just growth, is that the right reaction? Is it an overreaction, underreaction? SoftBank is such a force in the private markets that they can move towards that, but still do what they've done in the past as well as still fund companies that are going to change the world and most disruptive by founders that are less conservative, if you will. And so I think it's absolutely the right move. I think having a more conservative approach for kind of the mid to later stage companies on their path to profitability is the best outcome. But I still think that their swing for the fences mentality is still alive and well. I would say it would have been a mistake if they would have given up still wanting to invest in some early stage companies too. Even though the Vision Fund is so massive, there are still are opportunities that they're seeking in the earlier stages as well. And so I think that this is absolutely the right outcome and allows them to essentially do both. Yeah, I think in, in venture, whether you do early stage like we do currently or later stage, the idea, like you said, of swinging for the fences is always an important part of portfolio construction and identifying the right companies to invest in because of the power law dynamics of venture returns. I think too, as I've been thinking about this and we talked about this on the last episode, the takeaways of you know, what do you learn from a situation like WeWork? One thing I've thought of is that everything in finance, I think, is cyclical. And we went through this period of talk recently, I think, in the Valley where public investors, the narrative was that public market investors are short-sighted and they only care about you hitting your quarterly numbers. They don't care about anything beyond that. And I think that that narrative was wrong. And throughout that, I think the period was that, you know, think about this long term, like, you know, we had this rush of capital into the private markets. And so venture investors could extend your runway. You didn't have to think about going public. You could think about this long term picture, which I think is part of what Adam sold so well at WeWork was this big vision. And maybe there was little focus other than just growth in the near term. There was no focus or little focus on, are you creating like a real business here? And I think it almost feels like now we're going back to the middle where, you know, there is some, okay, well, what do the economics look like for this business in the near term? And what does that say about the long term? And still, what is the vision? But we think about all these things together instead of just optimizing for one piece or the other. I'm encouraged by just this idea of, I think, getting more balance between what is good about being a public company and sort of the good hygiene that that creates in this quarterly cadence, but also the great things about being a private company and thinking long-term and building a big business in that sense. Let's shift to mobility. There's a lot going on in one of our favorite spaces there. One major thing that happened this week was Zooks announced a $200 million raise, which was the first raise the company did since their CEO left last year. And you know, on top of Zooks, obviously, there's 
Cruise, there's Argo, there's Waymo. Tesla has a great autonomy product. And Tesla just reported earnings too, so that's also topical. But Gene, I'm curious, when you think about autonomy and all the work we do on Tesla, how do you think about valuing autonomy for a company like Tesla? One of the things I love with the companies that we look at is the market opportunity slide. And it's always starts with a billion. And a lot of times I just gloss over it because it's hard to really make sense of how when someone is judging a market. But when you think about the autonomy slides, those companies, the decks are more in the categories of one and $2 trillion. And when you think about autonomy, you have to separate yourself from this view that this is about just transportation and being able to get some more free time in your car. You have to separate yourself from the view that it's related to auto. And so let me just start with that point is that I think a lot of investors, when they think about these, they think about it in the context of traditional auto. And those market caps tend to be in 35 to $50 billion. If you look at Ford, Honda, GM, for example, Tesla is now has moved up. It's just under $60 billion, So it's above that range. That, for me, is a trap. I think you have to ultimately look at what this addressable market is. And the number of variations that autonomy and future mobility can impact our lives, and specifically around cars and trucks, it's almost endless. There's the piece about increased productivity in the car. There's the safety piece, well-documented. Cars are dangerous. And there is a safety to your life. There's also the safety around and damage to potentially a vehicle. And then you can go even another layer when you think about autonomy around logistics. And so I think the valuation on this, to answer your question, is that it is such an open-ended market. And I understand that this is a dangerous line of thinking, but it is an open-ended market where if one of these players actually has room to be successful, I mean, I think that's the bigger question, isn't about how to put a valuation on it. It's what's the probability of success as measured by their technology, their team, and the partnerships they have. I think that you could see these companies being valued in the many hundreds of billions of dollars. I think that that is most realistic when you put it in the context of the market opportunity. Similar type of a situation when people struggled around Amazon's market cap when the stock was $50. The wrong way to think about it was to look at other e-commerce companies and the near-term growth of e-commerce. The right way to think about it was them taking over not only online, but offline. And you can really change your addressable markets based on that. And for Tesla in particular, if you had to break out the value of autonomy for them as a public company, really maybe the best public comp for autonomy. How much of their market cap do you think is attributable to autonomy? It's, it's around $58 billion in market cap right now after their good earnings this quarter. The simple answer is very little. If they shut down the autonomy and autopilot, I think that the stock would definitely trade off because I think there'd be concern about innovation and kind of an overall curve. But if you look at what they've said and what they've shown around autonomy over the last six months since they did their autonomy day, before the recent move higher in the stock, which has been more about profitability, but before that, the stock was essentially flat from earlier in the year from that autonomy event when they talked about robo-taxis and gave a lot more data. 
And since then, their deferred revenue related to autopilot and kind of this FSD, the full self-driving suite, has increased now. It's uh, right around $500 million. The stock really hasn't traded on that. I do believe that there's probably some small piece, but I think that this is one of the biggest X factors to the Tesla story if they can continue to show that consumers are willing to pay for some of these advanced, albeit not full self-driving features, but advanced self-driving features. And I think you could see ultimately more of Tesla's market cap being attributed to the opportunity and autonomy than it is around electrification. I think you're hitting us on it to me that's actually very paradoxical because I think you're right that if Tesla said tomorrow we're shutting down our autonomy program. Stocks down, you know, I don't know, five, ten percent. I don't think it would be egregious or drastic. But then you have Cruise, the last valuation they did, I think, was nineteen billion. Argo raised money earlier this year, two and a half billion at seven. Waymo has talked about a valuation even higher than Cruise. So I mean we're talking you know, multiple tens of billions of dollars for evaluation there. And so the complex thing, I think, with this whole industry is that Tesla is not getting credit for autonomy. So the market isn't giving them any credit for that. And it's not generating revenue, really meaningful revenue yet. And so we're really valuing these companies on the potential of the technology. It almost feels like kind of a throwback to old venture where more recently, a lot of the unicorns we've seen are these companies that are solving more tangible problems. They have real customer traction and revenue associated with that, particularly in the software space. And this feels a little bit more like it's one of these longer-term bets. Absolutely. If you look at the last rounds on these companies that are trying to solve autonomy and what we talked about with Tesla is it really comes down to this $1 or $2 trillion addressable market. And I'm okay with that. I'm a conservative person by nature and like to see more of a track to profitability. But in this case, I'm such a believer that there are very few undeniable truths. And one of those is that vehicles should drive themselves. So I think that that creates some massive opportunity for a select few. That said, if you're going to look at the collective valuations of these companies going after that, many of them won't succeed. So there'll be zero shots. But the ones that are successful, I think, will be worth their autonomy piece, hundreds of billions of dollars. Big opportunity. Speaking of autonomy and the future of transportation, one space, I guess it's an ironic thing to say, but one space we've spent a little time in is this idea of you know electronic vertical takeoff and landing vehicles, air taxis, flying cars. People use different terminology for them. But there's been some news about one of the companies in that space called Lilium potentially raising several hundred million dollars in a new round. When you think of autonomy gene and just mobility in general, what do you think personal air travel like that? Or how do you think that kind of fits into the picture? So on the piece that we talked about with cars and the autonomy side there, the use case, the 10x better is obvious for some of the reasons that we talked about. When you think about around electrification of air travel and some of the benefits that happen there, it's more of a debate. Uh, We discuss this a lot here at Loop Ventures. And on one side, you have like long haul air travel works pretty well. It's accessible in terms of price. It's fast going from New York to San Francisco, lots of different options. And it doesn't seem like there's anything broke with that piece of it. But at the more basic level, what electrification does is it allows for aircraft to operate in more dense areas. 
in part because of the sound requirements. We're talking about a one-tenth of the sound that comes from, for example, a helicopter versus like a kitty hawk, a two-person flying taxi. And that changes the dynamic around the opportunity for taxis. But there's also this piece of just trying to solve what is another nagging problem that autonomy does help with a little bit, but air taxis would help even more, which is simply traffic. If you're going to list out major pain points in your life outside of people, I bet traffic is on many people's lists. I think that there is a massive opportunity that it is 10x better for electrification and air taxis to create some sort of alternative to what is an increasing problem around traffic. Yeah, I can attest traffic is probably one of the top five problems for most people in the world. And so maybe just last question, this is a topic I'm sure we're going to be talking a lot more about in the future, but to put you on the spot, Gene, do you think we get to widespread level five autonomy on the ground or air taxis first? Which one do we get first? We'll get to the ground first. There's a lot of work around batteries that are going to prevent air taxis from getting there. And specifically is that the yields on the batteries probably need to improve for about a decade before taxis are feasible. And so, yes, impressive use cases around Kitty Hawk and Lilium, but ultimately some range to them needs to improve dramatically. I agree with your bet and we'll leave it there. Thanks everybody for listening to the Loop Ventures Liquidity Podcast. 